welcome to Brad Speaks. Presenting the way to think about politics so you will know what to think. Now your host, Brad Job. Welcome back, friends, to the Brad Joe Speaks program. We do have David with us. He is in an undisclosed location doing our IT work for us. We do have a special speaker today that was introduced to me by a, a young, young fraternity brother of mine from my alma mater, University of Memphis, that attended a, a session at their law school on bail reform and gave me Mr. Ken Good's information. So we contacted him. He's the board of directors of Professional Bondsman of Texas. He graduated from Hardin-Simmons University in 1982 with a bachelor's of art degree. He received a master of education degree in 1986 from Tarleton State University, which is part of the Texas A&M system. In 89, he received his law degree from Texas Tech School of Law, where he's a member of the Texas Tech Law Review. He's argued cases before the Supreme Court of Texas, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, along with numerous courts of appeals, including United States Court of Appeals for the 5th District. One of the reasons I wanted to get Mr. Good on with us today is because of something that's been in the news recently that I think it's kind of a peripheral issue to most people, but that's why you come here, is to bring things in in the periphery that really matter to all of us. We can discuss those things. What is bail reform? I think the first time bail reform came to my attention was after some of the riots a few years ago uh, with Black Lives Matter riots when they were burning cities, breaking glass, overturning cop cars, the things that liberals do. Kamala Harris, our vice president, came out in support of what I had never heard before was a private group that you could donate money to to release these people from, from jail via paying their bond, their bail, there's since been an avalanche of litigation and proposed legislation that's come out. And there's diverse views on each side of if this is good for America or is it not. So I wanted to bring Mr. Good on. He represents the professional bondsman of Texas. He is a lawyer. He represents them. And he has views on this. He's in the forefront of this controversy in the United States. So, Ken, I want to say hello to you. Say hello to everybody. If there's anything I missed about an introduction, go ahead and fill us in. Oh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And I, I would just say, you know, it's kind of interesting how something so small as going to Tennessee to be on a panel at a law school, you just don't realize how small the world is. You know, when I was a teenager or when, when I just graduated from law school, I went all the way to Paris and I got on their subway and I turned around. And the next thing you know, somebody was saying, hi, Ken. So you don't realize how small the world is until you're faced with it or, uh, right in front of your face. Thing I would add to an introduction is I'm a father of two daughters, and I have married and have two girls. My wife is also an attorney, and they're the most important thing to me. And so to all the other fathers of daughters, go girls. Yeah, I've got five. Uh, David has – David, do you have three? I think yeah, if he's if he's able to granddaughter. Yeah. So Ken, <laughs> I wanted to start out what we try to do on this program and what we've started out, David and I try to do, is we want to educate folks um that don't have time to, to deal with and delve into the minutiae of everyday current events. They go about their lives every day and people that are cursed like you, Ken and me and David, with the appetite to understand and <laughs> dissect these things. A lot of people, when they hear bail reform, it goes in one ear and out the other because there's so many other things that 
they have going on. I want to do a few things a little bit differently than maybe you have in the past. I want to start out because I love the Constitution. I'm a I'm sitting here looking at two busts of Thomas Jefferson and Madison. I've got a Liberty Statue of Liberty on my desk. I've got ink wells with feather pins in them. And I want people to understand a little bit more when they hear bail reform. Where did it come from? Where did this thing come from, bail? Did it just come from magic from our little town where we post our podcast from? Or is it something that's ingrained in law that helps us produce and procure freedom? So I just like to start out with saying, and and Ken, this is going to be a little bit different, but we're going to get into some more of the, the meat potatoes. This The Eighth Amendment of the Constitution says the excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel or unusual punishments inflicted. Ken, give us a one-minute background on what that means and why it's in the Constitution. Well, okay, you know what I would say? When we came over on the Mayflower, when we came over from England all the way back, you know, I know the Mayflower was from Italy, but when we came over from England, we brought with us English common law, And our system of bail really dates back to the common law. And common law is really custom and practice. It's not something that's written down. But what the English did for the first time, they limited the king's power to hold somebody without bail. And that was called the Emancipation Proclamation. And so we kind of took that document and we put that in our state constitutions. Like the Texas Constitution says... Everyone has a right to bail with sufficient sureties unless they're charged with certain crimes. And so the concept, I think, that bail is everybody has a right to unless it's like a capital murder or something really bad. That's the, the concept in the majority of the Constitution. What the right. So going back to, to English law, what we were trying to do is what and I like to call, since the Eighth Amendment is part of the Bill of Rights, which is the First Ten Amendments of the Bill of Rights, what we tried to do there is I, I like to call it the Bill of Anti-Rights. I like to call it the Bill of – says the government cannot do this to you. And the English law, they got tired of the king because he was holding people. He would hold them indefinitely, charge them with a crime. And if you read the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson actually mentions this. And it's found its way into the Constitution with Madison is that we got tired, some folks in the past, of the king and his judges who he appointed. They would charge people, political adversaries, put them in prison or put them in jail on a a charge, pretended or not, and hold them there indefinitely. And so with these papers back in English law, and I think it even goes back to the Magna Carta, we've adopted that in the United States saying that we can't be arrested on the street for something and be held indefinitely. So we come up with this bail system. So with that said, explain the bail system a little bit more. You're right. It is the Magna Carta. That's where the, the, the king cannot charge you with a crime and never, never have it go to trial and just hold you. But what the bail system does, one of the things that you know makes me upset is when people say, well, that you can't be held because you haven't been found guilty. And, you know, the whole concept of bail has nothing to do with innocence or guilt. The concept of bail is what assurance you're going to give to the court that you're going to return to a answer the charges that have been filed against you or any charges that will be filed against you. And so our concept of bail didn't have anything to do with whether you're innocent or guilty. It's what assurances that you're going to give that you'll return to answer the charges. You can see that in the Magna Carta. The king can't hold you, but you have to assure the king that you will return and answer the charges that have been filed. 
And so there was a point in time, you know, Baal's been around for 200 years in this country, over 200 years. And there was a time where if you bailed somebody out and they failed to appear, you took their place. And we've since changed that to a dollar amount. And so most bail in the United States is is like an insurance policy. They set your bail at $1,000. You go to a private surety bondsman and you pay a premium and they're guaranteeing like an insurance policy that you will go to court and answer your charges. If you don't, then we'll get you back within a certain period of time or we'll pay the $1,000 to the court. So someone's arrested, hypothetically speaking, and there's a $1,000 bond, and they don't have $1,000. So they go to private surety. They get this private surety for 10%. It's basically 10 15%? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So they pay 10% to a private person, and then the private person puts up that bond to the court for the $1,000. But that's saying that the person that was charged with the crime will show up for court. And if they don't show up for court, then the private bail bondsman is on the hook for the full amount. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. With that being said, what is excessive? If you have somebody, because this is getting into the the argument against you, is that, um, you know, you have somebody that gets arrested and read into this. Everybody listening to me probably already knows. So let's say you go into Walgreens and you still, you fill up your bags full of crap and you walk out and then say it is in the city that will arrest you for it. You get arrested for it. What if there was no bail? Imagine a world that liberals and the left want us to have of no cash bail. What does crime look like in the United States? Well, you know, we've been trying some of these alternatives to the private surety bail system for the last couple of years, especially during COVID. And so we've gotten a glimpse very quickly on steroids of what the left wants to do and what it would look like, because what it is is a system of, hey, everybody just wants to come to court. They want to resolve their cases. So we don't really need bail. They will come anyway. So different states have tried different things, but they're all the same thing. It's simple release. It's either released without bail, released on zero bail, released on a personal bond, which is just a promise. You're not paying any money. And all of them, we I just call them simple release. And the problem is there's no accountability. And when you have simple release, people don't want to come to court. And so the failure to appear rate skyrockets. As failures to appear skyrocket, uh, does it defeat the purpose of bail? I mean, I think charitable bail funds do have their place. But, you know, they've always in the United States been very small uh, organizations. It was only like you pointed out because of the uh, uh, George Floyd situation and the the vice president that they suddenly just had money over hand over fist and we've seen some organizations get in trouble because they've started just uh, mishandling that money but i do think that because of this money that they've raised they they have discovered that there are no people that are first-time offenders stuck in jail so they're ending up bonding out the really dangerous people the people that nobody else will bond out And so that's why you're starting to see restrictions placed on charitable bail funds. Like I think Indiana just limited them to misdemeanors no larger than $2,000 because they have people they were bonding out. They don't have any training and they don't have any ability to supervise and they were committing more crime. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day on the other side of this argument and like to get your input on this. If someone's arrested, they go to jail, 
they're released on their own recognizance. They don't pay bail. They go out and they reoffend. This is worst case scenario. They reoffend, which it happens, and, and they go back to on a new charge. They get out with no bail. While they're out again, they reoffend on a new charge. They get out again. Well, those three, those three offenses are adding up on them. So when they're arrested, the judge will necessarily know that they didn't show up for the other three. When does he stop and say, you're going to jail, you're not going to get bail? You know, that's where, I mean, that's where the politics comes into play. No doubt. This whole entire thing is about politics. But we've got one extreme perspective taking the position that you can never hold somebody, no matter how many times they fail to appear, no matter how many times they screw up, you can't hold them because if they say they can't afford it, well, then they can't afford it and you can't hold them. That's not what any of the cases say. And and they're just ignoring the law because if you have a criminal history or if you violate a court order ordering you to come to court, the court can always hold you for the violation of a court order. And if you've got a criminal history, the court, I mean, if you've got a substantial one, if you've got committed bad crimes, they can hold you. But if you just don't come to court and you've got 15 failures to appear, the court can decide, hey, you're not going to come to court. So we need to hold you until your case is ready to be resolved. However, Uh, and and, and since you mentioned it, the political reality is in some of these cities with the DAs, the judges, when these folks reoffend twice under the first, they got they released with no bail in the first charge, released for no bail in the second charge, released with no bail in the third charge. The judges, as you just said, could hold them under contempt of the other ones, and but they're not doing it, and it's a political lever that the folks that these people are pulling, and and it's and there's there's no need to to beat around the bush. It's it's a racial political move. It's a maneuver politically used by Black Lives Matter and their ilk and Kamala Harris, and they're saying this. So the judges, even though they could, I, I wouldn't even I would. That's the thing. I would not even be afraid to entertain the idea of the first misdemeanor you get, no bail. But then the second one you get, I mean, I'm in your life, but that's what not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that have been arrested 40, 50 times. But the problem we have is much worse than that because they're getting arrested over and over and over. And the judges aren't putting up the judges aren't saying you've had three chances. Now you're done. Yeah. But when they fail to appear, their case gets put on hold until they come back because that's what's required under the Constitution. And the case, the courts have all this pressure to keep their dockets at a manageable number because they keep having the same number of cases. So it's not just doing nothing. It's dismissing the case because they, they didn't come back. And so instead of waiting on them, it's a, Oh, it's a misdemeanor. So we're just going to dismiss it and we're going to go on to the next one. So they can't dismiss that under the eighth amendment is saying it's not a speedy trial because they didn't show up. Well, how are they dismissing? They just, they're just dismissing them to, to manage their dockets because their backlogs are gotcha. getting so big. And they're saying, well, we have discretion. Uh, you know, the DA says we have discretion and we're not going to prosecute this case. Or, you know, they'll just say in the name of justice, we just dismiss it. And the, the DA moves, makes a motion and the uh, judge approves it. And so and they're back on the streets. Nobody cares. Walgreens shut down targets leaves town. You got San Francisco the way it looks right now because of because of that. Because there are there are certain issues we have to deal with. Because if they're not if they can't be dealt with speedily in the courts, and they have a way around it, they can dismiss it, and it makes it makes the political donors happy. But they're destroying the cities at the same time. 
Absolutely. Everything you just said. Absolutely. And, you know, when California misdemeanor courts have an 80% failure to appear rate, that tells you why we have increased crime in California. Let me ask you this. This is a favorite of me and, and the audience. I have a question, a sincere question. In the Sixth Amendment, and somebody brought this up to me because I was talking to a good friend of mine about this the other day. Do you have right to counsel, okay, under the Sixth Amendment? Can you tell me why, and if I'm incorrect, let me know, if you have a bail hearing, say you get arrested one night, and the next day you have a bail hearing uh, through TV and the judge is looking at you and you're looking at the judge, there's no attorney present and you didn't do you have an opportunity that you just didn't know about or a lot of these bell hearings what i'm hearing i'm looking at all the arguments on both sides of this and this is one of those that kind of stuck out to me from a freedom perspective that, that i wanted to ask you about so if you get arrested and you have a bail hearing do you have the right to an attorney i believe you do under the constitution but what percentage would you say people have the option for an un? Not unfortunately. Fortunately, we do under the Constitution have a right to counsel whether you can afford it or not. Now, I understand how that would jack up the legal system and how much more dollars and taxpayers dollars we would have to put into it to make that happen. But what what are your thoughts on a bail hearing without counsel? Well, okay, so that has been litigated extensively. And uh, here's what the law says. You have a right to be, uh, an attorney at, to represent you at the core proceedings of your criminal case. So the question is, is setting bail a core proceeding? And I'm going to okay. tell you, the answer to that depends. If the judge is setting bail based on an abuse of discretion standard and you have uh, the right to ask for a reconsider, to have it reconsidered at any time, it is it has been held not to be a court proceeding. But you, I did not know if that. New, okay. If you're in New Jersey, if you're in Galveston, Texas right now, if the judge is, is not setting bail, the DA is asking for it, and the judge has to apply a clear and convincing evidence standard, which is New Jersey, and you have to have a trial within 48 hours, 72 hours of arrest, well, then you would have a right to an attorney. And that's actually, I think, destroying the criminal justice system because – there's a whole bunch of reasons there because there's DAs aren't ready to try their case, have a mini trial three days after arrest. So we need to keep setting bail with the judge on an abuse of discretion standard. And the defendant has a right to have it reconsidered at any time. And under that standard, it's not a court proceeding. You don't have a right to counsel at that hearing. OK, that's it. That's it. And I'm, I'm assuming did the Supreme Court look at that? Well, this, uh, let's see. Well, it was argued in a case that's uh, Booth versus Galveston. The uh, trial court in Galveston ordered the county to provide legal counsel at the bail hearing. But it was a brief three years ago. They never issued an opinion. But the county was very confident that that's what the law was, that you only gotcha. have the right to attorney at our core uh, matter, and that uh, City Bell was not one of those. And the case was ultimately dismissed. So uh, yeah. I do think so they're correct. you couldn't climb the ladder at that point. No, it couldn't. It couldn't. Gotcha. Society's become more lethargic to the complaints of the left 
even since all the BLM stuff that happened two or three years ago, which is, I think, with this bail thing, is this issue has, has become augmented in the media. And, and we know the media, they're on the side of the criminals. I, I think most people would agree with that, at least listen to this program. But an avalanche of criticism towards the judicial system, it's, it's conspicuous after some of the more violent behavior in these cities, the looting, the burnings, the rioting. How this is important to me. You've got to know, obviously, and I would like to know if you'd like to speak out and and say that you do understand the fact that you're getting inundated by the left as this whole thing's turned racial. How, when you get specific questions on what you're doing, benefits one group of people over another group of people, how do you combat that? Well, you know, I mean, I... Look, we don't have a racist criminal justice system, but we do have crime running amok in our inner cities. And the problem is our inner cities have a disproportionate number of certain minority groups. And so what there's some study, there's a study out of Minnesota that I've highlighted on my podcast that shows that we have a disproportionate amount of crime being committed by certain racial groups. And until we are willing to address that, There's everything that we're doing, everything that the left is proposing is just making the system worse because we're creating a system where there's no accountability, de facto decriminalization, more crime, and the more crime is being committed in the exact neighborhoods that they claim they're trying to help. And their response to all that is, well, we feel your pain. So so what I think you're saying is the way you combat that, which is it's just common sense, but common sense is not. We all understand that in America now. It's to just simply say back to these people who say that these bail reform, if they say you oppose their bail reform measures, you're a racist, is to just explain to them, sit down and say, listen, what happens if your proposals get enacted and codified into law is your your cities are going to continue to go down further and further. We're not looking at race, but since you brought it up, if you're... If your utopia was no bail, where would your where would your cities, your communities, these brown and brown and black communities be if you had that? But they refuse to look at it. We all know. I think I know. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. The reason they don't want to look at it is because that's how they get elected. They 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 have they have to have a certain amount of crime. They have to have a certain amount of unrest racially to be promoted and to be elected. That's how they keep their power. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I do have, I would like very much, and I do appreciate you coming on today. I really do, Ken. It means a lot to me. I want to just change this conversation just a little bit to, to immigration. Now, if I'm not mistaken, we have ruled the Supreme Court either decided not to hear it, and I had the opportunity to be in oral arguments at the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago. If I'm not mistaken, they refused to hear it, but if you have an immigrant come over, all of these people that are coming over illegally, they're being released into America, but they have criminal charges, and their hearings are set seven, eight years in, in the future. They didn't get bail. They didn't go before someone that says, hey, are you going to have bail? You're not going to have bail. I would like to ask you what your thoughts are on that. They're not getting bail hearings. They're being released without bail, but they're criminals. How does that work out with everybody else? I think if I was in Memphis and I was, I was the head of Black Lives Matter in Memphis, okay, and I'm looking at all of these immigrants walking across 10,000 yesterday, 9,000 the day before, 
and, and they don't get bail hearings. They just get they get they get released. What's your name? Okay, go. And they put them on a bus and they take them into the interior of the United States of America without a bail hearing. But they're criminals. Is there any correlation to bail reform if I was a Black Lives Matter representative in Memphis to immigrants walking over and not even getting a bail hearing but just getting released without it? I do think there is a lot of overlap between uh, these bad bail proposals and our federal immigration policy. They're both being pushed by the far left, and it's really removing all accountability from our immigration system, removing all accountability from our criminal justice system, creating chaos in our immigration system, creating chaos in our criminal justice system. The result of our chaos in our criminal justice system is de facto decriminalization, more crime. The uh, result in our immigration system is chaos, which means People are being smuggled in. They have to pay back these people who are smuggling them in. And what are they doing to get money to pay them, pay off their debt? Committing crime. Kent, thanks. If you've got a second for just one more question. Sure. Okay. I like to look at both sides of everything. I'm a freedom guy straight up. That's what I exist for. But I do have a question. I'm sure you've got a good answer for this, but I couldn't find one and I didn't want to spend three days going to the law library and trying to figure it out. Can you stay in jail longer without posting bail than if you were convicted for the charge that you were charged with? If my 18 year old does something stupid and steals something from Target and just and puts it in her pocket, walks out. So they're 18. They go to big people jail and they get uh, they don't have any money and I'm not paying for it. And it's a thousand dollar bail. Judge says a thousand dollars, and all I need to take a hundred dollars to uh, the bail bondsman to get my kid out of jail, who's eighteen, who's an adult. And I say no, and they don't have a hundred dollars in their bank account. The maximum time they could spend in jail if they were convicted and thrown the book at, could they? If if the court system couldn't get to them for three months, would they sit in jail for three months? No. Not in Texas, they wouldn't, because in Texas, for misdemeanors, there is a statute that says that if you have not been released after the passage of this amount of time, which I think is 30 days, you okay. have to be released. And for a felony, it's uh, it's longer. But it's, sure. it, unless you're charged with a crime that you have to be uh, released on, uh, I mean, that you can be held on, they have to set your bail. Now, all this litigation we've had over the last couple of years has been a fight over this very issue because the left argues you have to be released if you can't afford bail. And that's not what any of the cases have said. What the cases have said is you have a right to a hearing. So you can't be held for three months without seeing a judge and asking for a reduction of your bond amount. But and that once, doesn't happen once, anyway. I mean, that's that. I mean, that's not something that's occurring every day in the United States. Absolutely. And first time offenders, right. there's not any first time offenders stuck in jail. That's all right. And, I got and you. That's what right. I, I, that was a hypothetical, and it's not even happening. But, well, that's what the charitable bail funds found. But you have a right to a hearing, and once you've had your right to a hearing, then the constitutional requirements have been met. And anything else that happens is the decision of the local courts because you have to follow the floor of the Constitution, but anything else is up to whatever the locality wants to do. And so as much as it would be a burden on the taxpayer, do you think that there should be an increase in the number of courts to handle these things? 
Well, if we're going to do these bad bail policies, it's going to require uh, double the amount of courts just to resolve the same number of cases that we were resolving under the old system. So, I mean, we can't have these. One of the problems with these bad bail reform systems is it's intended to overwhelm the system. There was a there was a mayor right. in, no doubt. Uh, up north. She That's said, look, point. until you. Until you have an, a true alternative to the private yeah. surety bail system that has the same accountability and the same low failure to appear, you don't have an alternative. And that's what we're finding. All so everybody these gets out. mechanisms are not alternatives. They create chaos. Ken, I appreciate you being on. I really do. It's been a pleasure. I know I have learned some stuff from you and, and just through looking through what you've said on the, and what you're doing. I appreciate you. But the bottom line is, I think you and I would agree, or you may not, but I think we would, is the bottom line here is there needs to be a societal change. Folks need to be putting, you know, you need to take your kids to church, read the Bible to them, sit in with them, pray over the meals every time they eat, have a mom and dad at the house, and we wouldn't even be here. That's the crux. That's the stone, the concrete on which all this other crap is not built. You've got serious problems with the family in, in certain cultures, and, and, and that's why we have this, and that's why we have to have these conversations. But when we do have to have these conversations, there, there does need to be a response to the left that says, let's just let them back out, reoffend, and uh, everybody's fine. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you so much. We look forward to hearing from you, and uh, don't be a stranger. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Hey, Ken, how could other people on our podcast find your work and maybe support you in any way they could? Uh, they can find more information by going to pbtx.com, the professional bondsman of Texas. So, pbtx.com. We have a blog where we highlight important stories in the criminal justice bail reform movement. And we also have our own podcast called The Bell Post. There's a link there, or you can just go to thebellpost.com where we talk about just criminal justice issues, bad bell reform issues, and we try to educate lawmakers, judges, and the public. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I respect and appreciate that uh, Ken Good would talk to us about bail reform because a lot of people do not know that exactly what that means. What is bail? What is bail reform? Right. And what do we have without bail reform? One of the things that we talked about with Ken tonight, David, was what happens if you don't have bail reform? Is it so bad? And who's coming after you if you're against bail reform? This um, little story came to mind, and it is a little story. In Spanish lingo, it would be pequeño. It's a small story, but it would be lighting fires literally across the fruited plain. Today, there would be there would be riots, uprisings if it didn't turn out the way it was. We're just illustrating absurdity by being absurd by saying that because here's what happened. Okay, so you have Martin Luther King Jr. David, you know who he is? Yes. All right, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., awesome man. Absolute paragon of civil rights perhaps the most and you could get in trouble if you didn't say he wasn't the highest level of civil rights people in in the united states of america his house was attacked the other day i don't know how many people out there have heard this because they're not a person goes to martin luther king jr's birth home he lived there until he was 12 the person is caught on video with a red gas can well, a red can filled with an unknown substance. <laughs> so 
So there's this person throwing gasoline all over Martin Luther King Jr.'s home in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. There you go. And you've got tourists walking by. And here's this person with this red can with an unknown substance. And that's what the media would like for you to believe. And with this unknown substance, throwing it all over the windows. There's a video of this. I saw it. I saw it about an hour after it happened. Folks are walking by and they're thinking to themselves, why is this person with a, uh, what they would reasonably perceive to be a gas can throwing a substance that they would later, <laughs> they would later say smelled like gasoline. Well, it's cause there's somebody throwing gasoline on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth house. It's, it's on the federal registry of national historic places. Okay. So, People are walking by and there's a person throwing a substance that from a red can uh, onto Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth home, which is, again, in the National Historic Registry or Historic Places, whatever. They stop the person. They subdue the person. So now that we've subdued the person, stopped the person, what we found out later is that there it's a uh, it's a black female. And she was going to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s home, black female. But this is one of the unflattering truths of the media. This should open everyone's horizons up to if they're younger, David, if they're younger than us, if they haven't understood what the media is and how it works. This is the quintessential example of this. I wish I had the keys to the kingdom. I wish I did. I wish I could impute into anyone who reads the news, especially children, kids, young folks, young adults, people under 35, but we can't. So this is a great example. If there's not a greater example this year, this is the best one. The left wing continues to corrupt the American people and 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 youth. That's who I'm concerned. That's who I'm concerned about. When people read the news and they say, "Okay, Martin Luther King Jr." I'm going to get to the good stuff of this, but I'm going to wait. I want everybody to wait. Listen to this. Here's what's happening. So you, you, you've got a news story that somebody tried to maybe commit arson against Martin Luther King Jr.'s house, his birth house, up till he was 12 years old. Okay, so we've got this could this happened and it, it was uh, subdued and and it wasn't all over the American press with with horn blasts on TV and people in the street saying, come, come get your newspaper, read more about it. There's a reason the news media continues to whore out, whore out their integrity and their reputation on a daily basis. But unless people are in tune, and unless they can see, unless they can discern the media whoring out its reputation and its integrity, they would just blindly and blithely see straight through the headlines on this story. What happened is there's a, it, it ends up being a black girl. It's a black girl. She was uh, in the in the military, and she decided that she wanted to start a race war. Hmm. So was she apprehended? So uh, they find out that the the female 
with the gas can that uh, they they decided to go ahead and describe as as gasoline, throwing gas. There, there's a video of this. I've seen it, and they said it would have it was a would be arsonist. A would be arsonist was seen pouring the contents of a five gallon gasoline container onto a wooden porch of the historic Atlanta home. And what the media wants to say is the woman is said to have then relented in her attempts to burn the home and started to walk away. Well, she didn't relent in her attempts to burn the home and and, and walk away. She was confronted by uh, two off-duty New York Police Department NYPD officers that happened to be going by Martin Luther King Jr.'s home and saw her. And they're like, hey, uh, it looks like this individuals got a gas can and pouring gas everywhere and looks like she might be trying to burn the house down. So they apprehend her, but they don't just say they apprehend her. They say, well, the, the problem now is that they find out this chick is, is following this, this, this dude. She goes up there. She tries to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s house, but the media says shocking moment, distressed female military vet tries to set Martin Luther King Jr.'s Atlanta childhood home on fire before being tamed by off-duty NYPD cops. Yeah, and then at the the, the end of the article by the Daily Mail, it says, the woman is said to then have relented in her attempts to burn the home and started to walk away. Two cops visiting from New York restrained her. With another part of the video showing... The woman with a knee on her back. That's how the Daily Mail ended their story on somebody trying to destroy, to burn, to arson Martin Luther King Jr.'s childhood home. Showing with a woman with a knee on her back. Yeah, she had a knee on her back because it was a black New York cop that was in Atlanta sightseeing, but he was black. And and he subdued her. He he took her down. He because she was about to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s house. But the, the Daily Mail can't take. They can't let any certain situation go. Any chance go. The Daily Mail cannot let any chance go away to try to ignite racial tension in this country, even if. A, a, a black female is trying to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s childhood home down and an off-duty New York Police Department officer subdues her on video by other people taking the video and he just sits her there. And there's another lady in the video that's saying, ma'am, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Are you okay? Are you comfortable? And 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 the girl who tried to burn Martin Luther King Jr.'s home down, who would be the would-be racist, is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And so the off-duty New York Police Department officer, who just happened to be there, just holding her there while the uh, Atlanta cops are coming. And then it, it seems like just a cut and dry thing of a person that's got problems that tried to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s home. And then an off-duty New York Police Department officer who sees her was able to talk her down with not striking a lighter because the thing would gone up in fire. And he puts his knee on her back, puts her down on the ground, and that's how the Daily Mail decides to end their article. With another part of the video shared showing the woman with a knee on her back. Well, if she, let's just, 
Do we have to do this? Yes, we do. Because, David, our job is not to teach people that are our age. We're talking to younger people. When you read and discern, when you read the news, you've got to come up. You've, you've got to, first of all, say, I don't believe it. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for for what I've left the younger generation. But you cannot believe a damn thing you hear in the news. You can't believe a damn thing you read. You can't believe a damn thing you see if it's if it's a, if it's a, if if it's an article or if it's an advertisement, especially with the onset of AI coming now. I don't know where we're going, but that's another conversation. But this one in particular, this one, what they've decided is that this lady, this 26-year-old person, she she had received uh, medals in 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 the in the army of good conduct. Yes, she has. She had received medals of good conduct. I looked up medals of good conduct. I am very proud of people that have medals of good conduct. But good conduct just means you didn't get get kicked out for a couple of years. And if, I, okay, well let me ask you me. this because this is something I heard about probably three or four months ago, and it was a a particular state was gonna no. A particular prison company, because they're private prisons, was going to sue the state because the state was not maintaining the occupancy level that they had agreed upon at their initial contract. Is that not ridiculous or what? Yeah, it's that it is. <laughs>